Hi, I'm Sean Sampson. I'm president and CEO of EV Nickel Incorporated. Uh, I'm joined here today by Paul Davis, my VP of Exploration for EV Nickel. EV Nickel is a company which has uh, a large land package southeast of Timmins, Ontario, and we're searching for nickel sulfides. It's in an area where there's been historic production. Uh, we're very close to the city of Timmins, and so we have a huge land package we're exploring across. But, uh, we'll talk you through that today. And we have a two-track strategy wherein we have high-grade mineralization, and we're going after some very uh, large-scale targets in our, in our north as well. So we're looking at near-term or near-ish term production from our high-grade mineralization, plus we've got an enormous optionality from our large-scale targets. Looking forward to getting through it today with you, Merlin. Sean, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, good to meet you uh, both. Um, and looking forward to learning more about the projects and the, and the work that you're doing uh, within EV Nickel. So um, <clears throat> EV Nickel, you know, it's a it's a very Canadian name. You know, you you call the company what you're focused on. You have nickel for electric vehicles. Um, what's the what was the background to that? You know, what made you want to go for those nickel assets? Because um, I, 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 from what I can gather, your your the company behind it or the founding company had a kind of a variety of different strategies in some industrial minerals. But at some point, there was a switch to nickel and those nickel properties. So if you could just tell me a bit about the background of EV Nickel, that'd be great. Yeah, EV and I's genesis, it came out of another company called Rogue Resources, which Paul and I also run. Uh, this is a non-core asset that we spun out from Rogue last year uh, into a private company in spring and March of 2021. And uh, we did some initial work in 2021. Um, we had a historic resource for 2010. So no work had been done on it since 2010. Uh, when we spun it out, we did work last year and then we IPO'd it in December of 2021. And here we are, uh, we're midway are almost done our third phase of work. So we were busy exploring in the first half of this year, our phase two, um, and now we're deep into our phase three, which we'll talk you through today. But the genesis of the company is really that we spun out this non-core asset from Rogue Resources. And then since then, we've bolted on additional couple of land packages, uh, which has now created this very large piece of land that we're working. Now, I, I, I love a, a high-grade resource. I'm, I'm uh, always willing to chase grade uh, above tons. Um, <clears throat> ideally, you get both. Um, but the the historic resource that you um, uh, were working on um, from 2010, that was a relatively small ton tonnage, but high-grade nickel resource. Could you just tell me what that resource was, what the geology was, and what the work you've done on that? Paul, do you want to walk us through sort of where we started with our little under 700,000 ton resource? Sure, I'll, uh, I'll start there. Basically, I'll give you a little uh, brief background on, on the history. First, my personal history, I've been a explorer in Timmins for about 30 years looking for nickel in a, in a gold camp. I've had a, a fair bit of success. I found six new zones of mineralization, advanced one through two production, the Alexo mine. And basically the focus of my my exploration was these high-grade targets. Now, in 2007, uh, Golden Chalice, a former name for Rogue, uh, discovered W4 uh, by drilling in the Shaw Dome and basically drilled off this deposit down to about 200, and, 200 to 250 meters depth 
that had 677,000 tons of about 1% nickel, some of which was accessible by an open pit. Uh, W4 is a unique deposit uh, in that it's composed almost 100% of pentlandite. So you're looking at a really high nickel tenor of 35 to 45% nickel and 100% sulfide. When you say it's unique, is that because of the um, the, the mineralogy, because it's pentlandite, not pentlandite and pyrotite and I mean, is it the mineralogy that's unique or is it the structural setting? It's the mineralogy that's unique. Uh, being 100% pentlandite, like I say, when you like, you know, project that when you get a concentrate, you'll be able to produce a really high grade concentrate from this particular sulfide. And most of these nickel deposits, even the commadiite hosted ones, tend to have a fair proportion of pyrotite and your nickel tenors range in anywhere from about 5 to 10% uh, nickel and 100% sulfide. Also, what's unique about W4 is it's associated with a non-magnetic pyrotite flow. And so it actually brings in a brand new uh, model for exploration in the Shah Dome that has never been searched for before. Sorry, a non-magnetic what flow? Pyrotite. Pyrotitic. Olivine-rich flow that uh, is really the host for most of these style deposits. Like when you see them in West Australia, Combalda, we call it a Combalda style deposit because you get these uh, concentrations of sulfide that kind of build up in the bottom of uh, river-like channels. And they have a long-lived uh, plunge extent, but a short aerial extent. Like, you know, W4 ranges anywhere from about, we'll call it uh, 200 meters to 250 meters strike extent. But so far, it just continues uh, trucking down uh, plunge, as I think you'll see from this morning's press release that we put out, that we had some fairly... Uh, good results from our, our phase two drilling, drilling the extension of W4. Well, I'll come on to those results in a second, but um, let's, let's talk, when you talk about the Cambalda side style um, deposits, do you mean Kamatiitic, these very hot flows that actually kind of gouge a channel through um, yes. kind of pre-existing rock? And the, 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 so they're, they're kind of, they're rivers of extremely hot molten um, uh, lava that come with this metal flow and the, 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 the metals concentrate at the base of that flow. Yeah, that's correct. Like, you know, I think I've been told uh, by, by uh, a number of commandiate specialists that like, you know, they have about the, uh, the viscosity of hot olive oil. So these things really do run and they channelize into these river type deposits. And what happens is you get some entrainment of sulfur from somewhere, be it the foot wall at the Shaw Dome where we have these sulfide bearing iron formations, or in Combalda, it was more of a graphitic argillite sediment that had sulfides. And what it does is it entrains the sulfur, the sulfur strips the nickel and the other metals out of the belt, and then it drops to the bottom because the sulfides are denser than your flow uh, magma. Okay, nice. Um, can you can you pull up a map of the of, of the main areas? Because I'm, I'm I'm learning so much about the jolly just from what you're saying. I'd like to put it in context, uh, geographic context, if I could. Um, Sean, are you the glamorous yeah, assistant? Let me pull here? up the map, Merlin. Yeah, so this orients you a bit. So th this, Merlin, is, is the original in yellow, is the original project that was spun out from Rogue uh, last year. And then that's where our W4 is. So you see at the bottom of the yellow section is the W4 yes. zone we're speaking about, the historic resource. And then on here, you have the blue and the red, which are the additional land that we bolted on with a transaction we did in April of this year with a, uh, a private company, um, our neighbor across the street, as we refer to them. Um, and that really supersized our land package across the Shaw Dome. 
And this is all, just to orient you, we're, we're southeast of Timmins, uh, so south of some famous gold mines, including the Dome Mine, currently operated by Newmont. Uh, so a short drive from town. And then across the Shaw Dome, we have two permitted mills. So there's the Carshaw Mill in the north, which is permitted, you, but you, uh, does, okay, I, Yeah. I was going to say, can you point to it with your Carshaw, mouse? Uh, I can try. I read it right on here. Yeah, great. So Thank the you. Carshaw Mill. Uh, so that's a permitted mill. Um, it doesn't operate, but we have a, we have a rofer, a right of first refusal to uh, acquire the land that that mill is on. Uh, but there's another functioning mill, the Redstone Mill, which is permitted for 2,000 tons per day and operates now as an opportunistic toll milling facility. Uh, so there's two processing uh, options to some extent down on the Shaw Dome. And then what really excites us is that there is, and this gets back to the geology and the flows, there's historic production from the Shaw Dome with really good grade, um, where over time in, in various sort of nickel markets, juniors have been down, companies have been down producing nickel out of the Shaw Dome, which of course the best place to look for metal is, is where metal has been produced before. So we've got that going at the Shaw Dome. Plus we've got this very interesting geology, which uh, our team thinks that with the sequential flow type uh, geology, that we're just getting started and what we're gonna be finding here with both the high grade mineralization down to the south of the land package where we are. Uh, plus we have a huge opportunity to the north for potential yeah, large scale. And if I could add here that okay. again, with the Kambalda style of deposits that once you find one high grade nickel deposit on a horizon, that means that entire horizon becomes perspective. And you tend to find these deposits in clusters, which you're seeing here on the Shaw Dome as well with there are a number of, of zones occurring within that belt. Uh, Paul, uh, th those historic uh, mines, I can see um, Langmuir 2, uh, uh, Langmuir number 1 mine, number 2 mine, the Redstone mine, McWatters mine, are those all also um, Kambalda style, Kamatia Tick? Yeah, flows? they are They are more than 2 million tons of better than a percent and a half, almost 2% nickel. Langmuir number two, they mined a little over a million tons at one and a half percent nickel. And they basically stopped the mine at about 400 meters depth, not because the nickel stopped at that depth. I have maps that actually show the mineralization continuing down plunge, but the nickel price kind of fell out of bed in 1978. They had a ground control problem in their crown pillar and uh, Naranda and Enco decided to shut the mine down at that point and basically... Uh, rehabilitate the area but we do own uh, a portion of that deposit paul how have you done your exploration in this area you, you you've been you, you say you've been doing nickel exploration in the timid area for 30 years um and uh, obviously naranda and the guys were d d doing nickel exploration in the 70s and 80s now, what have you, what have been your methods and have they changed much and what are you applying those to well, well, let's get to how did you explore? Let's do that first. How did, did you explore? And we'll come on to what you're doing now later, but let's do the looking backwards first. Okay, like, you know, basically how, uh, how we explored uh, hasn't changed a lot. And really one of my first jobs in Nickel was in the Shaw Dome in Carmen Township for Falconbridge. Uh, so this is my third kick at the can. The second time I was with Otokompo where I was actually uh, the Eastern Canada Exploration Manager uh, 
and we went in with a much more systematic approach. We flew a large airborne, uh, which included both EM and MAG. And then we like, you know, you try and pick your best uh, EM targets with an associated mag high, which you would believe would be your channelized pertites, which would be more magnetic than your more lateral flow facies. And then we would go in and you'd have to drill it. These Kambalda style deposits, like I said, are very limited strike extent. So really it is drilling into the ground. Now, uh, Golden Chalice flew an airborne over the yellow part of that map. Then, like, you know, also the pro company that we bought the project from flew an airborne over their side of the project. We have since combined the two, had it reinterpreted because the real game changer now is the computing power. Like, you know, your actual measurements from the airborne haven't improved a lot over the past uh, 10, 15 years, but your ability to apply the algorithms, run the computing power, select your high priority targets really has. And so that's what we've done is we've gone in, we've reselected priority targets based upon our understanding of the Shaw Dome and Kambalda style deposits to start to pick our high priority targets. And the first one we did was actually on the Langmuir project and I had them do it blind because I wanted to see if they would find W4 and they did highlight W4 as one of our top five exploration targets. So I was, uh, I was, uh, I was happy with the result and felt it was gonna help. Um, other things that have um, come to note, is that uh, these sorry, sorry, style deposits uh, are often deposits? Go ahead. So, sorry, the, sort of these. Um, I, I missed that last bit. The, these Kambalda style deposits are that they live through the off time during the the geophysical survey. So, a lot of the conventional work has always been looking for conductors when you uh, turn on the power. Whereas with these high grade nickel deposits, they tend to have a very long life. Uh, magnetic field. So you have to measure them through the off time or the B field. And really that can help you select which targets that you would uh, prioritize to explore first. But really with the amount of overburden in Timmins and the uh, lack of other uh, information from surface, it really is drilling. And so it's picking our high priority targets, going in and drill testing these to, to do follow-up work for the high grade targets. So that was going to be my next question, which is kind of how much overburden is there in, in, in the shore dome? And, you know, uh, is there any exposure or are you totally reliant on the drill data and the geophysics? Oh, uh, there is outcrop exposure in the area. Uh, like, you know, basically on our car line, which is one of our large scale deposits, we probably have anywhere from about 15 to 20 percent outcrop exposure, which gives us a huge advantage in being one, able to tell what the rock types are and two, there's historical work there, including surface grab samples that show that we have a really nice, um, higher nickel content dunite than, let's say, what you're seeing from the other deposits within the Timmins area. Now, like, you know, overburden cover, Carlang, I bet you we average anywhere from five to eight meters. But, like, you know, a lot of our drilling so far, we've only seen a maximum of about seven meters of overburden. In comparison to other parts of the Abitibi, like, you know, you're looking at anywhere between 20 to 50 meters of overburden. Other parts of the Shaw Dome, let's say at W4, it goes anywhere from surface outcrop exposure near to the mineralization to depths of about 20 to 25 meters. So generally, it, it, it's a range and it really depends on, on where you are within the uh, area and how the glaciers affected the overburden and the outcrop. And you're talking about the importance of the the, the geophysics, um, uh, the the combined EM and the mag. 
you said that when you were doing the historic exploration, you would go for the um, where there was a mag high. But um, yes. earlier you mentioned that the peridotite uh, flow at W four has actually got a kind of a subtler low mag signature. Have you, have you identified that yet? Um, uh, we basically the the Shaw dome is made up like a layer cake, and we have four separate horizons of comadiates that we can explore. And when you take in aggregate the amount of favorable stratigraphy that we could test, it's in excess of 100 kilometers of uh, areas to target. So we have identified other targets uh, that we see as similar to W4 being in a similar geophysical environment, similar geological environment. Uh, we have not started testing for those. We've been focused in on uh, getting W4 scaled up and uh, see what the uh, dimensions and size of the deposit potentially could be, as well as testing our higher grade uh, zone uh, or large scale project up in Carlang. If you could just kind of unpack for me what the work you've done on W4. So uh, uh, I'm just trying to kind of, I I learned by repetition, so I'm just trying to get my head around it. You've got the geophysics, you've got the, the signature of the, of the, key horizons of the Kamatiites within the shore zone. You've got over 100 kilometers of kind of priority uh, horizon that you might want to test, kind of line kilometers, because these things are relatively um, rope-like or relatively linear. Um, And you're focused on the extensions of W4. So that 677,000 ton resource was over how much of strike length and is it is it kind of a is it like a pipe, um, and and how much more have you tested? Uh, basically, a W four ranges anywhere from about one hundred and fifty meter to two hundred meter strike, and the six hundred and seventy seven thousand tons were really contained in the first two hundred and fifty meters of the of the depth along that strike length, and so it is associated with what appears to be a channelized type deposit. So it's not really a pipe. It's more like a bit of a bowl uh, that has a plunge down to either the south or the southeast, uh, and it dips near vertical or slightly to the north. And so basically, we have went in in two, 2021, and we'd never seen the deposit. I'd never seen the mineralization. So first thing we did is we drilled a couple holes into the middle of it within gaps within the actual uh, resource estimate so that we were improving what we our information that we had there and hoping to improve the grade and the style of mineralization within the resource. We also drilled it on the east and the west end because we wanted to see if we could extend the boundaries of the mineralization further east and west. And we were we had the, we did have some decent hits on both edges of the deposit. We have tested both to the west and to the east of the actual known mineralization. And we did find to the west about 75 to 100 meters away that we had a small hit indicating that this particular horizon is still sulfur saturated and that you have the potential of hosting additional mineralization on this stratigraphic package. Work by Golden Chalice between 2007 and 2010 also to identify the W2 zone, which had a really nice hit of about one, per, one, one meter of about one and a half percent nickel at a depth of about 350 meters vertical. They did some follow-up work, but there hasn't been a lot of exploration done around that other hit. So we see that this horizon is perspective, 
And we do know that it swings up to the northeast along the edge of the Shaw Dome. And basically, we have a number of uh, targets. Some were tested by Golden Chalice, but with one hole. And as I know, with these Convalda-style deposits, you put in one hole, it doesn't really uh, kill your area. Basically, you have to do a few holes on each target to make sure that there isn't something there. So what's the what's actually happening at w4 are you um, are you expanding the envelope of mineralization has the drill drilling supported that thesis um, and are you putting more meters into that area uh what we've done is in phase two we drilled the down plunge extension of w4 uh there was, was some the first half of this year yeah, first half of this year. There was some indication that the mineralization went to depth, but they had drilled it from the south, so it was a very poor angle to hit the deposit at. We came in from the north, we drilled 10 additional holes, and basically we have extended the mineralization down to below the 400 meter level. So we basically doubled the depth of the deposit. And a couple of very interesting things came out of that drilling. One, uh, in the original 2010 resource, they had broken it up into a number of small lenses because they didn't really have a, a strong handle on the morphology of the mineralization. With our drilling from the north, I'm confident to say now that this is actually one continuous zone from surface. So you can stretch it down the full length of the 400 meters versus having it kind of pinch and swell into these three separate lenses. And the second thing that we see is that the mineralization maintains a fairly consistent width and grade as we go down to depth, which, like I said, if you take a look at our press release today, uh, in a number of the holes, we've had some very interesting hits, some upwards of like, you know, 20 meters of 0.85% uh, nickel with a core uh, of like, you know, five meters of a little close to 2%. So we're quite excited by the potential to expand W4. And basically with these Combalda style things, we can, uh, I, I envision that we'll be able to keep chasing this thing down plunge uh, and extending and increasing the uh, size potentials. Nice. That's, that's, that's a really good result. So you, are you keeping one rig going um, on, on W4 and have you got a kind of a, a drill budget that you're trying to complete by the end of the year? Uh, we basically, we moved, we wanted to see what the, the results were, of course, from the assays before we went on to the next phase at W4. We're only drilling with one drill. The company that we're working with up in Timmins uh, has done a phenomenal job for us, and they drill uh, probably at about 20% faster than I thought uh, they were capable of doing. And so uh, basically, in order to maintain our treasury and not to burn through it really quickly, we were drilling with one drill, and we are almost finished our drilling in phase three on Carlang, which point we may take a little bit of a pause, kind of get caught up. But I'm looking at being back in at W4, increasing or decreasing the drill spacing and moving our next phase into actually doing an indicated uh, level of drilling on that particular portion so that we can go to an updated resource estimate sometime uh, early 2023 to be able to say exactly what we have at W4 down to that next level of uh, like, you know, 450 to 500 meters depth. So Merlin, we've been bouncing back and forth. We first half of this year was doing the W4 extension. Those are the results we're talking about now. And, and then this summer, we've been drilling up at the Carlang for the, the large scale target, uh, which will be news for the remainder of this year, assays from the work we did this summer. And then as Paul says, we're gonna come back to W4 for that infill drilling to be able to have an indicated resource as our target for next year on W4. Great, I've got it. Um, before we leave 
W4. Um, I, I noticed that some of the, you know, the, the mines in the area are small but high grade. You know, they're kind of one million tons, one and a half million tons. You've got almost 700,000 tons uh, of good grade material at W4. You're potentially looking to double it. I mean, plus or minus thumb sucks and kind of arm waving around. But, you know, you're, you know, that's the ballpark that you'll be looking at. Um, those old mines, those small old mines, do you have a kind of in your mind a kind of conceptual threshold of how many tons you need to kind of stimulate a construction decision? I mean, just kind of as, as, as a guideline. Yeah, so for development of the ore bodies, um, what I really like is that we have processing just seven kilometers away. There's the permitted 2,000 ton per day uh, plant. So I would foresee that uh, today what we have, less than 700,000 tons, is probably subscale, but a combination of uh, larger resource at a W4, which we're hoping to have next year, Plus, there's a deposit uh, privately held by our neighbors. Uh, it's three and a half kilometers away on surface, which is about double the size of W4, uh, which also has some exploration potential to have a larger resource. Uh, it probably gets us closer to that, that threshold uh, where perhaps in combination, uh, those two deposits could change back the local plant, the local mill to being a nickel operation. So those are the sort of the chips that are in play. Uh, but to your question of threshold, I, I, I think we're probably south of that now. Uh, it's you know less than 700,000 tons towards a potential development decision. But what we're trying to do is get as many um, resource tons as we can on the board for W4. And then as you state, there are other deposits and historic mines in the area where we should be able to bolt something together to get us over that threshold. Great. Thank you very much. Now let's talk about Carl Lang. This um, your 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 large tonnage potential. Um, um, Paul, do you want to give us kind of an introduction to the geology and uh, to kind of what you're what you're um, looking for? Sure. Like you know, the, basically the Shaw Dome, as I said, is like a layer cake. Now the innermost layer is composed of these thick accumulations of olivine cumulate, so dunites, and basically. Like, you know, in the 1990s, I commissioned a study with the University of Alabama to do a uh, Shaw Dome-wide geochemistry project to basically try and identify areas where you would see nickel depletion. Now, of that, in the Carlang area, we were able to take about 40 samples from surface. And it showed that, like, you know, we have a range of nickel contents anywhere from about 0.25% nickel up to about 04 so basically, that's a huge head start when we're looking at these large-scale, lower-grade uh, type of zones. Now, we went in there with that information. With the geophysics, we also know that we had a strike length of probably about um, 10 kilometers within the Carlang area of this favorable stratigraphy. And then the kicker is that in 1996, when I was with Little Kumpu, I actually drilled the north end of Carlang. Uh, and knew that we had dunites there and bottomed the, the last hole in a fence in about 350 meters of dunite, and it was still going uh, when we shut down the hole. Our target with Otokopu, though, we were looking for something of 0.6, like Mount Keith. Uh, here, we had, like, you know, grades of between 0.3 and 0.4, and so we, we moved on to the next target. Now, there's a few, or there's really four points that make Carlang quite attractive. With my work in Timmins in the 30 years, I've really 
pretty much looked at every nickel zone in the Abitibi uh, on this side of the Quebec border, plus drilled any number of them. And I feel that now what makes Car Lang different is one location. We're close to Timmins and we're close to processing. So we have a, a source of services and people, and we also have facilities that we could process material at. Second thing is access. A lot of the areas in the Abitibi are quite swampy, quite wet. Access is difficult to get to. We can drive to our drill rig with a pickup truck because over the past five years, we've had some recent forestry activity and they built a really nice network of roads going right across the ridge that happens to cover the uh, Carlang area. Third thing is grade. We know from the University of Alabama work and some past uh, geochemistry completed by the Ontario government that we're looking at things that are potentially... Uh, let's say 20 to 30% higher grade than some of the other zones that have been announced for the area. And then the last and final thing is the overburden thickness. So really you're looking at your upfront capital costs that the Timmins area has on average between 20 to 40 meters of overburden. So you're looking at digging through a lot of stuff even before you would start producing anything that could be considered a, a pay zone uh, from that particular deposit. So I think Carlang, the difference is going to be these deposits are fairly common. It's going to be those four factors that will decide which project is actually going to be developed and moved ahead first versus being uh, put on the on the sidelines. So, so Roland, th this this point, Merlin, that uh, the grades of these deposits, like Paul mentioned before, they didn't find 0.6, so Otokompu moved moved on. Um, now the market seems to be telling us that lower grade deposits could be economic. Uh, I think that's still a, a TBD. But when you're beginning to compare these lower grade large deposits, it's really gonna come down to variables like Paul saying. Like if you're gonna be mining something that has the equivalent of you know, glorified dirt, uh, you going through a lot of dirt to get to that dirt um, really adds up, right? So, so we think comparatively ours stacks up well, but first we, we're drilling it, we're gonna to try to put up a, a large resource on this, on this target area. Uh, again, that will be early next year, um, and, and then we'll figure out sort of how they compare. But we think there are big differences between these deposits. As Paul's saying, you know, that overburden is a big deal. Uh, yeah, Sean, and it's not just um, the overburden. I mean, I, I completely agree with you when you say that the economics of some of these things is um, TBD. Um, because if you look at the look at the recoveries, my goodness, you're talking about 50-odd sure. percent recovery on a, on a low-grade I mean, if you're, you're starting, starting off with, with yeah. starting with 0.25% nickel, contain nickel, and you can recover 0.11 or 0.9. I mean, it's like, ooh, oh my goodness! Um, and you're looking at billion-dollar capex. I, I, I do, mm -hmm. I do worry. <laughs> I do worry. Yeah. But if you can start, if you can find stuff which is 0.3.4, and if you know half of that is you're at 0.2%, which is suddenly you're it's 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 a vast improvement. I mean, even then, you want the nickel market to go in the right direction, which of course yes. everybody who's listening to this will have bought into that thesis. So we don't really need to discuss it. But um, absolutely, these parameters that you talk about um, access processing. Um, Paul, I'd be very interested to, to hear if you've got any comments on the mineralogy or the specific geology of, of grade or, or recoveries, if you've got any insights at this stage. Um, I have a look at all some insights. Basically, when you serpentinize an olivine, you drive all of the nickel out of the crystal structure. 
And so it needs to find a home. And so a lot of the uh, the theory around it, and we see this at Carlang as well, is that the nickel is going into your any sulfur that's available in the system. And so you're seeing like, you know, your higher tenor nickel minerals, minerals such as like, you know, Pentlandite, Millerite, Hieselwoodite, which is a, a kind of a neat uh, mineral. You're also seeing the development of some Oarite, which is your iron nickel alloy uh, that, you know, if you are deficient in sulfur, that's kind of the home that uh, the nickel will find. And any any reference to Carl Lang? I mean, if you've got any kind of favorable uh, features there, which kind of give you, I mean, because quite a lot of the grades locally are 0 0.25, 0 0.3%, and you're talking about 03 to 0.4%. So there must be some kind of geological difference, which is lifting that, or is it just fluid flow? I believe it is actually original olivine content in that, like, you know, we're looking at a, an ad cumulate, which is anything that has over 95% olivine. And we see a high, high volume of these ad cumulates or dunites within the area. And I think that's what makes the main difference. You may have had a little bit more primitive magma as well. So you're looking at something that would have a, an originally elevated nickel content prior to it starting to crystallize out the olivine. Okay. Now, my, 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 I've got slightly rusty Ignis Petrology, but isn't a dunite a rock which has got over 90% uh, olivine? It is. Yeah. Hey, I got one not, right. Not so rusty after all. <laughs> uh, good. Um, so um, where are you in the drill program? How many meters have you done and how many meters um, ahead do you have? Uh, basically, we've completed probably about 90% of our drilling on Carling. It was an 8,500 meter program in total. We're, we're moving on to our, uh, our last line. And so we're going to be starting to receive some of our analysis back here over the coming weeks. And basically, it's about a four to five week uh, delay between submitting the samples and getting the assays back. With the rate at which the drillers are drilling, we're a bit behind on logging, so we're seeing it getting caught up on that by about the end of October, and then like you know, we'll continue to see results starting probably end of September right through into uh, the end of the year for Carlang, at which point we will then turn it over to our, uh, our third-party arms-length group to, to see what the, they think of the Carlang as a zone and uh, see what type of resource we can generate from it, but our our target, uh, based upon the volumes and the known widths from the surface mapping, is going to be somewhere probably around, we'll say, north of uh, 500 million tons. Okay, okay, and um, that's 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 a big number. Um, what's your fence spacing um, on your lines of your drilling that you're putting across this, and how much strike have you drilled out? Uh, basically, our fences are spaced every 200 meters. And we spoke with the uh, the qualified geo who will be doing any type of work on it and basically came to an agreement that that is a reasonable drill spacing to be able to work out our, our indicated resource. And basically, we've completed uh, testing on about 1.2 kilometers of the actual uh, dunite body. And Paul, up in the car lane, we think we have about 10 kilometers. Up in the car line, we, we believe there's about 10 kilometers of this particular Dunedic unit that uh, that goes across that area. So Merlin, this will hopefully uh, get us with 
putting a resource on the board for Carlang, um, indicated resources Paul mentions, and then we'll try to figure out sort of how much more there is to find up there and then how the potential pieces fit together and whether that's of interest for us to advance. And that's really our, our second track for the company. I mean, that, that, that's huge. I mean, that's, that would be a significant step change for the company. Um, sure. quick, the, the, the 10 kilometers of, of strike length, is, is that based on the similar geophysical signature? Do you see any attenuation of the signature? I mean, have you drilled in the best bit or did you just drill it in the bit that you got the access to first? Uh, we, well, we tried to uh, target the area that we believed was going to be most contiguous of the donate. Uh, we have surface outcrop, though, that basically goes along that entire 10-kilometer trend. There are some diabase dikes in the area. There is some attenuation in there. Like, you know, it is the Archean. We have a fair amount of, uh, of structure within that particular place. But we, we chose an area uh, that, that had a, a good continuity. We have... Like, you know, a number of these type of targets within our property package, not only in Carlang, but also on Adams to Laurel to the west. property as well yeah. on the west side, which I happen to also drill with Potopoku. <laughs> and and what, the, what did you find there? Similar stuff? Similar stuff, yeah. We have dunites that we, uh, we intersected in the drill holes to surface over on the uh, western side of our property package as well. Similar grades? Similar grades, right, Paul? Uh, similar, similar material. Yeah. So, so Berlin, the dynamic here is, you know, Paul has this rich history up in the Timmins camp, having been, uh, the person looking for nickel for many years in the gold camp. And, and now with the more recent, um, investor interest in companies that are, uh, crawling over and exploring the same land that Paul spent a huge chunk of his career on, he's been chomping at the bit to get back in. Uh, because he drilled them and he knows these deposits uh, where we are, especially down in the Shah Dome. Um, but now the market is in a way telling us that a bunch of this mineralization could be economic. So I, again, as we discussed, I, I think it's still a TBD, um, but it seems with the push towards decarbonization and nickel price and maybe innovations on how we get the stuff out of the ground, that this stuff could come into the money um, if it is seen as economic, we think we have enormous potential across our land package. And it's really neat because Paul's drilled it before. We know the geology very well, and it's we're going to methodically go through the steps. So first step is doing these meters that we put in for Carlang, get the resource on the board beginning of next year. Um, and then we'll sort of go from there and try to figure out if there are a go. Uh, and I think it's a tremendous option for our company to have uh, this type of business alongside the high grade business that we're working down in the, the southern part of our land, including the W4. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Sean, you've, you've summarized it beautifully. Um, Paul and Sean, thank you very much for taking the time. I've learned uh, it's, it's been a real eye opener for me to learn about the geology uh, of the Shaw Dome and the, the buck tonnage potential and the high grade potential. Um, I look forward to seeing the news releases coming out over the coming months. Um, and we should, I think, probably do another technical uh, call when you've got some resources on hand, which it sounds as if it's going to be six months or so away. Yeah. So we're, uh, we've done uh, 
very soon we'll have completed the drilling on Carlang, so the large scale target to the northeast. Um, and then it'll just be assays coming back on that. That is really going to be our news flow for the next bunch of months. Uh, the news we came out with this week was the final assays from work the first half of this year on the W4. We're going to get back in on the W4 uh, at the end of this year, calendar year, uh, to get more holes in. And then that will give us the data we need for an updated indicated resource next year. So a lot of reports, a lot of uh, news flow coming out with assays over the next few months. And then, as you say, we're targeting these uh, a larger resource on W4 and a maiden resource on Carlang in 2023. So we look forward to talking to you about that as we get the data. Great. Until then, thank you very much and good luck. Great. Thanks, Marlon.